Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Midtown Schuyler Bookstore. Thank you for joining us in Harrisburg this evening. We're thrilled to have you here at the Schuyler for the seventh annual Harrisburg Book Festival. My name is Alex Brubaker, and I'm the manager here at the Schuyler and director of the festival. Um, before we get started, some boring details to go over. Uh, please take this moment to silence your cell phones for the program. Um, and a quick guideline about the signing line of uh, the whole festival, the entire festival. You can walk into any event. It's free and open to the public. Uh, but to gain entrance to the signing line, we just ask that authors' new books be purchased through the Midtown Schuyler Bookstore. We want this festival to be a sustainable part of Harrisburg's future, so that really helps us do that. Now, we are here this weekend, of course, to celebrate literature. We're here to celebrate the written word, the exchange of ideas, the transformative power of narratives. But tonight, let's face it, we're here to celebrate beer. We're here to celebrate not only Pennsylvania beer, but two of the finest breweries in Pennsylvania, and that is Zero Day Brewing Company and the Millworks. Of course, this night would not have been possible without their wonderful support, from the free beer tasting to my left, to access to their head brewers. Please join me in giving the Millworks and Zero Day a warm round of applause. <laughs> of course, join us uh, right after the discussion for another beer tasting that'll last about half an hour or until the beer ends. Um, we're also here tonight to celebrate a book. It's called For the Love of Beer, Pennsylvania Breweries. Uh, author Allison Feeney has written an accessible guide to Pennsylvania's brewing history, geography, and cultural richness while highlighting over 100 of the state's thriving craft breweries. As you'll find out tonight, our state not only ranks first in the nation for the number of barrels produced, but the breweries, beer, and their craftsmen all have interesting stories to tell. At this time, I'm gonna introduce our all-star lineup of panelists. Our moderator tonight to my right is Sarah Bozich. She has been the go-to source for living locally for more than a decade. Sarah started her self-titled blog more than 15 years ago where she's dedicated for, to helping her readers get the most out of the greater Harrisburg area. Whether covering new and exciting ventures on her blog, hosting events throughout the region, or working with local companies behind the scenes, Sarah has made a name for herself promoting this region and I can attest to that. Sarah's other ventures include work with local video company, production company, GK Visual, which produced the award-winning craft beer documentary, Poured in Pennsylvania, and co-founded and co-organized uh, Harrisburg Beer Week. Jeff Musselman, to my left, graduated from Lycoming College with a BS in chemistry, and he worked as a research chemist at Merck for three and a half years. After graduating from the UC Davis Master's Brewers Program in California, Jeff returned to Pennsylvania and started his brewing career at Weyerbacher Brewing Company. He worked there for two years before transitioning back to central Pennsylvania, where he had a four and a half year stint at Trogue's Brewing Company as lead brewer. Now Jeff serves the role as brewmaster at the Millworks in Harrisburg, where he performs and manages all aspects of the brewery. Hannah Eisen is a 2013 graduate of the University of Kentucky with a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science. She began working part-time for Zero Day in 2016 and is now a full-time brewer at Zero Day and an active member of the Masters Brewers Association of the Americas, the Pink Boot Society, and the Brewers of Pennsylvania. She serves on the board of directors for the Friends of Midtown and recently was recognized as one of the inaugural members of the Harrisburg Young Professionals 20 in their 20s class. And of course, the star of the evening, author Allison Feeney. Allison is a professor in the Geography and Earth Science Department at Shippensburg University. She earned her bachelor's degrees in both history and geography from the University of Connecticut an MS from Portland State University, and a PhD from Michigan State University. She loves to travel around Pennsylvania to research breweries, and she has a particular interest in the cultural heritage and agritourism of craft beer, cider, 
wine and spirits, of which Pennsylvania has no end of great examples. Her new book, which we are here for tonight, is titled For the Love of Beer, Pennsylvania Breweries, which is available for purchase up at the cafe. Please join me in welcoming to the stage Sarah, Jeff, Hannah, and Allison. Hi, everybody. This is where uh, I take over now. Um, so we're all amped to talk about beer. I think all of us have already known each other, so this should be really fun. Um, thank you all for coming. I wanted to dive in first um, to ask Allison about how she decided uh, to start writing this book in the first place, because I think it's a pretty interesting story. Uh, well, hello. Thanks all for coming tonight. This is really great. Um, uh, it's an awesome venue. I think having an independent bookstore is just a great uh, place to be able to have independent brewers as well. So thank you for coming tonight. Uh, yeah, the story really began several years ago, almost a decade now, where the Pennsylvania Parks Forest Foundation asked me to map all the breweries in the state. Uh, it's probably one of our most broken laws, but it is illegal to drink in a state park. Uh, but so they wanted to, they found that people who donated to environmental causes like craft beer. And so they asked me to find the breweries that would be close to the state parks. And so I did that as a mapping project for them. And I really expected places like Pittsburgh and Philly to kind of shine. And I'd done my master's out in Oregon, and I expected similar types of, you know, sort of that revitalization process going on. But what I really fell in love with was the breweries in the state in really small towns like Carbondale, Mifflinburg, Berwick, you know, the places that were really declining. And here we had these, uh, you know, these businesses that were really helping uh, to maintain small downtowns throughout our state. And so... That's sort of how my love of the whole industry really started, and I took it upon myself to go to the mall, and uh, you know, I still try to go as many as possible. So Allison's book is titled For the Love of Beer, so I wanted to ask everybody here, um, maybe first how they were introduced to craft beer, and how and why they love craft beer. Okay. Go ahead, Jeff. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I think, Probably like most brewers, I like, got introduced to beer in college. Um, I was of age, of course. Um, <laughs> actually not. I, I traveled to Germany uh, my freshman year in college, so my first official beer was in Munich, Germany, so maybe that's where it all began. Um, but uh, like I said, kind of probably like most brewers, kind of got introduced to brewing as a home brewer. Um, it was kind of one of those things where I made some absolutely terrible beer, but I convinced myself it was really good um, and had a lot more flavor for good or for good or bad <laughs> than than the uh, the normal macro brews, um, and that's kind of where it started, um, just developing a palette of flavors. And then um, you know, 20 years ago there was you know Sierra Nevada and Guinness; those were your kind of options, and that's kind of where it started, and everything kind of grew from there. Um, the first time I tried beer, I just tried like a little sip of um, a really big macro beer, and dumped it out and uh, ate spoonfuls of peanut butter because I was so grossed out and I was convinced I would never drink beer. Um, that was, I was not of age. Um, and then I went to college and drank some beer there because it was cheap. Um, but then I was introduced to a craft brewery in the town where I went to college in Lexington, Kentucky. And I felt like this sense of community and just at home there. And um, 
I wasn't intimidated there. Like, even though I had no idea about these different kinds of beers, um, the bartenders and the, even the brewers would come out and just really make you feel comfortable and help you navigate um, the styles and figure out what you really liked. And I learned that craft beer, or that beer wasn't just a light lager. Um, and then I traveled a lot after college and I kept finding myself going to breweries. Um, that was kind of where in the new towns that I lived in or traveled to, like that's where I would go to find information about the community and meet new people. And that's exactly what happened when I moved to Harrisburg um, four years ago this week. Uh, I found myself at Zero Day um, and just got a lot of information about the community, met most of my friends there. And uh, I guess just that sense of community is really kind of what has tied me into craft beer and just continuing to pursue it. Um, and yeah, I just couldn't really stay away. And then I ended up uh, quitting my day job and learning how to make beer. So that's, <laughs> that's my story. It's kind of weird, but it works. <laughs> My story. Uh, I did my master's out in Portland, Oregon, and I was actually, uh, my research, my thesis at the time was uh, looking at the maps for the wine industry that was starting to grow in that area. Uh, maps are a great form of communication, and they're an awesome marketing tool, and they're usually underutilized. People kind of go with your basic Google map, and so I had been looking at it from that in point of view, and I would meet with my advisor and a couple other people in a brewery to talk about research all the time, and that's really where I fell in love with the idea of these places where... Uh, you know, quite often there's not a TV, you actually have to sit, you talk to people, you communicate, and you learn so much when you sit and talk with people. And that's really how I fell in love with craft beer, was more from the experiences that you get more so than the actual beer. The fact that they were really good is pretty good, <laughs> helped too. Uh, I had done some traveling around Germany too, and it was the first time that I was like, wow, this is actually beer like I've had in Europe. And so um, that, that's what really kind of spurred me on. At, in Michigan, uh, the brewing industry there was just starting out, and those were the best places to get really good food. And so for a starving grad student, that was like, you wanted to actually have a good burger or something to sustain you. Craft breweries were the place to go, so. Um, your book focuses a lot on um, all of the different facets of the industry. I, I love that it talks about the history and all of the different impacts that it has. But what in your mind makes a good brewery? Uh, well, I think having good beer, first of all. I mean, there there is a lot of breweries in the state uh, that actually have a quality beer is obviously essential. Uh, I think Jeff can attend to that, the idea of the science behind it. Anybody can make a good beer by accident once. <laughs> to repeatedly do it over and over again, to be able to maintain the styles and, you know, what a beer should taste like um, is difficult. So that's obviously what what it is but from there being able to connect with the community uh, this beer here with the idea of the artwork being able to tie in local artists being able to tie in the building space their idea of sharing that liquid with artistry uh, and the community I think is the idea of a great brewery and a great beer and then I want to ask both Jeff and Hannah um, what to each of you individually is like the most important part of beer making? You know, is it the recipe, is it ingredients, is it something else? 
Um, I think the process that you use is probably one of the most important parts of just how it comes out overall. But um, really having a good idea of what you're trying to achieve is probably the most important thing because you can get so caught up in the little details of this ingredient or that ingredient, but if you really know what you're trying to achieve um, overall, then you can kind of work backwards and build from that direction. Um, we try not to get caught up in just the little details, but instead like have a really good idea of the overall picture and make sure that we're using the right steps to get there. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a interesting question. I think there's a lot that goes into making a quality beer. Um, recipe's obviously a big one, but kind of as a brewer, um, I do think that the, the process behind it, um, you know, you can make a palatable beer with less than any delicious ingredients. Um, so I would say, yeah, I would definitely say as a brewer, it's probably more process oriented. And in that process, I would say the biggest thing, um, not to get too dorky, is but is just cleaning and sanitation. Um, brewing is probably 90% cleaning um, and making sure things are, are sanitary. So, um, you know, if you you have some bacteria floating in around in a beer, even with the best ingredients, it's not gonna make it good. So, cleaning. <laughs> so speaking of ingredients, um, how important is it to you guys, um, you know, I know you've both produced uh, PA preferred beers. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what that is and why it's important to use local ingredients and how, when you guys decide that you wanna make a beer with them? Yeah, um, I guess the PA preferred program was started a couple years ago and that um, for a beer to be considered PA preferred, it has to have some Pennsylvania ingredients. Um, so we have made a few beers um, that would be considered PA preferred. Um, Again, like we, in our recipe design, we don't necessarily take the approach of, we're going to use this ingredient and make it into a beer. Instead, it's how do we want this beer to taste and what are the best ingredients for it? Um, so if there is a locally um, made malt that we think would be really good in that recipe, then maybe we can highlight it. Um, that's kind of our approach. Uh, during the fall, during um, the hop harvest time, in the past, we've used um, local fresh hops, wet hops. Um, so that's definitely a time where we use uh, local ingredients, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of one of those uh, final frontier things in the industry. It's um, one of the things that kind of has always dri driven me crazy about the brewing industry is there's really no local, there's no connection to the local agricultural component. Um, you know, in winemaking, it's all about terroir, you know, the, the, the south slopes of the Rhone, you know, whatever. It's, it's all about the location where the grapes are grown. But in beer, um, you know, you get your malt from the Pacific Northwest and your hops from Germany. And, it, you know, it's, so it's, there's no real local component. Um, so the fact that the Pennsylvania Department of Ag has started this PA Prefers, PA Preferred Brews Program, I think is really important. Um, for consumers to know that, hey, we can grow these things. Um, it's important for brewers to be able to utilize them and brew them. Um, and there, you can do it in a high quality. Um, now, we, we at the Millworks, we do, we are kind of a farm to table restaurant, so I like to have at least one PA preferred beer on tap at all times. Um, 
generally my approach to those are kind of like seasonally available ingredients. Uh, malt's pretty much available year-round, um, but uh, hops aren't necessarily the most readily available in Pennsylvania at the moment. Um, so my approach has been, um, you know, whatever produce is kind of in, in season. We have a, a chili pepper beer on tap right now. Um, I did a, a beer with fir tips, which is the new growth of a, a pine tree um, in springtime. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's really important to, to kind of like, hey, there's farmers out there growing this stuff. We need to use it, and I think consumers need to 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 want to drink it and demand it too. So, Allison, have you? Um I know you have seen what the beer industry is like in other parts of the country. What sets Pennsylvania apart? Do others, are you seeing other states do, um, you know, initiatives like PA Preferred? What's their community like? Uh, well, two things. One, I, Pennsylvania definitely stands out because we have the most production. We do produce more. We outproduced California about two years ago, and that number keeps growing. Uh, the industry as a whole has actually started to peak. Uh, and slow down, but it's still growing in Pennsylvania. And so I think across the nation, Pennsylvania really sort of stands out that way. Uh, I think the other thing that really sets uh, Pennsylvania apart too is um, a little bit about the history. We have that sort of longevity as well as the cultural ties. And I think you don't find that in other places. For example, uh, Florida right now is really growing. Uh, places where tourism is, is active, you have a lot of, of breweries. Um, but you don't have that tradition that they're built on. And so there are some great breweries that are popping up in, in Florida, but they're coming out of nowhere. Um, and I think that's sort of the difference. We do have a, a long tradition in Pennsylvania. We have people with knowledge. We have people who have been home brewing for years. And that builds into that sort of that longevity and the knowledge that we have. And then uh, in your book, uh, both Millworks and Zero Day are mentioned in the section about revitalizing uh, small towns and main streets. Um, I know from, we have witnessed this when we shot Fordham, Pennsylvania too. So uh, tell us a, a little bit about how that's different in Pennsylvania and what you're seeing happen. Yeah, uh, that's probably been my favorite part of the whole project is seeing how these businesses have um, really maintained a lot of places and really revitalized some really cool buildings. Uh, Pennsylvania has some great stories and thanks to breweries that we're actually able to go in as the public and sort of uh, experience those buildings and, and get some of the stories behind it. Um, I, you know, the brewers as a bunch, Jeff's kind of an anomaly here. Actually, both our brewers here are anomalies. <laughs> uh, for the most part, they are white bearded and wearing flannel. And uh, that's the majority uh, of the brewers out there. So they're pretty burly looking guys. And I have had several of them almost tear up when they start telling me about the work that they've put into revitalizing and um, you know, renovating the buildings because they really have spent so much of their hard work doing and committing to that community and rebuilding refurnishing, reusing those buildings more so than they have their actual beer. And so uh, I have, I've really had some very passionate conversations with brewers about their commitment to that community uh, by the use of that building. I want to talk more about community, but I also do want to note that um, how many beer panels has anyone here seen where the women outnumber the men? This is an anomaly on its own. So. This is the first one I've sat on. So it's, I think that's pretty cool. Um, so. 
Can you, uh, I wanted, uh, Jeff and Hannah, if you can talk about kind of what your brewery's roles are in your, you share a community, what's that like, um, and what do you see uh, as your roles in this community? Um, well, I think that, like, just in the broad topic of urban development, like, there's all this age-old debate of what comes first, business or population growth? Which one drives the other? Um, do people have to move to a place in order to demand business, or are businesses popping up and people are deciding to move there. Um, I think that, at least in my time in Harrisburg, I've kind of seen the uh, where businesses are popping up and it's really driving people to kind of move into the area um, and stay. I know that the population, I did a lot of research about this before I moved here because I'm a population city nerd, but uh, I know that the population of Harrisburg decreased for a while. Um, over the last several decades, but it is starting to slowly go back up. And I really do think a lot of that has to do with small businesses popping up um, and having amenities that people want in their community. People want a farmer's market that's full. They want breweries that they can walk to and um, places where they can shop and get food. Um, I know that that's what really drove me, a complete outsider who didn't know a single person in Pennsylvania, to choose to stay in Harrisburg. My job that I was moving here for happened to be in Midtown, but um, everybody that I worked with did not live in Harrisburg and they all pushed me to the suburbs. And I walked around and I was like, no, this is a really neat community. And I think there are other people like me living here that um, are choosing to stay. So I really attribute a lot of what Zero Day does to kind of my personal experience and what I got out of that. Um, just it making me feel like there is a community that's growing, and um, I think the brewery plays a big role in that. Um, we're really connected with local artists um, in the community. We like a rotating um, art gallery, um, and most of our design work is done locally. So we try to really support um, other local artists and uh, businesses as much as we can. Um, right now we're doing a collaboration with local coffee shop, um, elementary coffee, so stay tuned for a fun coffee beer, but um, I just think wherever we can, like, plug ourselves in and um, kind of give back to the community that really supports us is kind of our big outlook. Zero Day is uh, supposed to be the community's living room. That's kind of what we say about our space, so um, I think you can see that in the space itself, but also the projects that we plug ourselves into, and it's kind of the vibe that we give off. At least I hope so. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think um, you're absolutely right. Like the breweries and can be like a cornerstone project of of, of revitalization. Um, you know, in Harrisburg in particular, I you know I don't think uh, there's one particular business that stands out. I think it's just a culmination of a bunch of places. You know, the place we're sitting in right now, um, Scholar, the the you know the millworks zero day the market all these places together um, I think Hannah nailed it it's it's just like enough that it's this this community thing um, you know and beyond even just the community like in in like the broader Harrisburg part but like I think the community within the brewing industry is is a huge thing and it's it's I I can't, my first job out of college was in the pharmaceutical industry and there was there was no nice playing with your your competitors. <laughs> um, it was extremely competitive, and um, 
you know, the community that's uh, in in the brewing industry is is just really amazing. You know, you can call call Zero Day up. Hey, uh, I'm a bag short on this malt. Can you guys have anything? Yeah, sure. Come on over and get it. Um, you know, and it's 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 just really that community that you're actually just out there helping each other out. Um, we don't necessarily see each other as competitors. Um, we have different business models, um, but there's there's enough room for for both of us to to be here to be successful to to thrive. So I, I think even beyond this, I think the, just the brewing community is is pretty awesome as well. Um, I'd love to hear uh, what the next project is for each of you. We talked about this downstairs, Allison. Um, tell us about what you have helped implement at Shippensburg. Yeah, so we have a couple things going on at Shippensburg University. Uh, in these travels, uh, I often would ask brewers where they learn their craft, and quite a few of them are by trial, most of them are by trial and error. And when you have a young business, you know, that's that takes a big lot of work if you have to start dumping beer out. And so uh, we have a lot of different expertise at Shippensburg, and we've been bringing brewers in to kind of see how we can pair that up. And so we have been looking at developing possibly an undergrad uh, minor, so somebody could have a degree in chemistry or geoenvironmental and then get a minor in brewing to, to sort of go along with that and give it as an option. Um, and so hopefully as the industry keeps growing, we'll have some younger students coming out with already have some of that knowledge to be able to provide a skilled workforce. Uh, we also have people who are just interested and want to learn where their beer is made. And so we have courses now for the public to learn, you know, how to brew. And I always jokingly said there's so many good beers in Pennsylvania, why would I want to learn myself? Um, but I have to say I love it. It's really fun. It's one of those um, hobbies that it's kind of like cooking. Knowing the skills that go into it, it makes you appreciate so much more when you actually go out and have, you know, a good beer from somewhere else. So uh, that, that's been a fun thing. And then we also have courses that are co-taught uh, by faculty at the university and then fa people in the industry. And those are really intended for a skilled workforce. And so people either moving their way up a company that may have you know some knowledge in some areas but lack other skills, whether it be business or chemistry or uh, even the front wait staff. I'm sure you've all been at a brewery where you ask a couple questions and the person serving you, you know, doesn't know the answers. And so, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how great your beer is if your front wait staff can't sell it. And so we're really trying to design a bunch of short courses uh, to help those, uh, you know, again, to be able to provide better brewers, better servers, so that the customers eventually, so not over Pennsylvania makes the most beer, but to make sure we make the best beer too. And I'd love to hear what you guys have uh, going on next for each of you too. Um, I'd say just personally, my next biggest uh, endeavor is uh, bringing a child into this world. <laughs> I'm having a baby. Um, hopefully in December, uh, <laughs> not sooner, not too much later. Um, but so that's definitely um, impacted, you know, the course of what I'm doing um, at work. I've been able to brew this pretty much up until this, uh, the last couple of weeks, um, kind of stopped lifting stuff and listening to my body a little more. So it's been really um, interesting to be able to navigate this job um, in a really positive way um, going through this life change. I haven't met anyone else um, in this industry who has carried a child um, 
while they were brewing. So it's definitely been kind of a create, forging my own path type thing, along with the help of awesome coworkers. Um, but it's been a really positive experience, and um, we are growing uh, internally too. So the next logical step for me is to do more of um, still brewing, very hands-on, but also um, some planning and logistics and kind of more focused on that side of things. So um, it's really fun right now. We're training another brewer too. So um, as we grow and continue distributing and um, producing more for our locations, um, we'll have another person helping make the beer too. Um, so it's just all kind of fallen in place at the right time. Um, so I, I couldn't be more grateful for going through this life change um, and working with and for the people that I do. Uh, as for the Millworks, um, we are actually in the process of building our second location over in Camp Hill. Uh, that will be hopefully, knock on wood, uh, open early springtime 2020. Uh, that is gonna be, um, we're not gonna be brewing over there, we're just gonna be shipping our beer over. So uh, under the Pennsylvania Brewers license, you can actually have three locations, so that'll be our secondary location. Um, it will be a, uh, a slightly different kind of um, uh, layout. Obviously, it's a much smaller building, that's a huge building over there. Um, our menu is going to be a little bit different. So the thing that will be similar is is the beer. Um, it's going to be interesting for me to figure out how to do it all myself. I think there's going to come a point in time where I will have to bite the bullet and get an assistant. Um, and that's kind of yet to be determined where, who and when and how we hire that person. But um, yeah, that's exciting. It's, uh, there's... You know, this is an industry of growth, and, and um, you know, I think every little town needs their brewery, and I think that's where the growth in this industry can come from. So um, hopefully we can be Camp Hill's brewery until the next one moves in, which I'm sure somebody's already planning on. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's probably of note that three of us are on the uh, Farm Show's uh, beer committee, which we are supposed to meet on next week, but this was a new competition <laughs> yeah. that we did last year. Maybe you guys can talk a little bit more about um, how that went and that there will be tasting this coming year. Yeah, so uh, actually, Sarah, Hannah, and myself are all, we, I guess we're because we're here in Harrisburg. <laughs> we might have a quorum. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, we just have our meeting right now. Um, so we are, the, the, uh, it took forever, um, but Pennsylvania finally did a Pennsylvania Farm Show beer competition last year. That last year was its its first run. Um, I don't remember how many entries we had, but it was a it was a good turnout. Um, and you know we, you know, like Allison said earlier, we are the number one producer in the country of beer. So why shouldn't we have a statewide competition? So I think this is a it, last year was a good springboard. It was kind of a learning experience. Um, this coming year, hopefully, we get more entries. Um, and we can really make this uh, um, kind of a, a really nationwide, reputable kind of uh, an award that we can give out to some really great brewers that are brewing beer in, in Pennsylvania. Um, but yeah, it's still in infancy and we're still working on it. Obviously, anything in its infancy needs its little things ironed out, but we're, we're getting there. <laughs> are you? Can, can we, we give it up for our panelists?
so we're going to transition to audience Q&A at the moment. So if you have a question for any of our panelists here, just feel free to raise your hand and I'll come around with the mic. We'll start over here, then we'll go towards the back. Um, so obviously we have a large number of breweries in our local area and across Pennsylvania. Um, and with just some of the transition that's happening in the industry um, with acquisitions and things like that, what do you guys see from a smaller brewery perspective as some of the biggest threats to small local breweries um, as well as just the industry in general? Uh, I mean, I think as the industry is in general, um, it's actually, the craft beer is still growing, but it's probably at its slowest growth potential uh, that I've ever seen. I've been in the industry for 12 years and we grew, I was actually just looking this up the other day, only 4% in 2018. Um, overall beer consumption is actually down a percent. Um, that's generally speaking because the, the macro brewers are down. Um, I do think that the biggest challenge to the local brewery is uh, staying relevant. It's, it's really tough to, to get your name out there um, when there's just this giant sea of beer. Um, and I think that's why, you know, we as local brewers need to do our best to, to capture our local audience. Um, like, why should the residents of Harrisburg buy any beer other than what's brewed in Harrisburg? Um, I, I personally feel the way the industry is going, and it's probably already there, is it's just going to become hyper-local. Hyper um, and, you know, the, the growth potential that's, that's been there for the last two decades is, is not going to be there, and we just have to be okay with that. Um, but I do think you need to truly focus on your local crowd. Um, you know, when you're competing against people with million-dollar marketing budgets, it's really tough. But um, we as local brewers can do a lot of things that they can't, um, that they just, they, they can't do, uh, you know, like, for instance, the, the pepper beer I just brewed was literally a guy who came in the bar and said, hey, I have a bunch of peppers, why don't you brew this beer with them? Okay, cool. Um, you're not gonna walk into Anheuser-Busch and say, I have a bunch of peppers, brew a pepper beer. So <laughs> um, I think that's, that's a way that you can stay relevant um, is just really engaging your local community and, and uh, serving their needs. Um, I just uh, read that there's a beer tax that just recently uh, took effect in PA, uh, but I don't know really anything about it. If anyone wanted to elaborate on this new um, beer tax. Yeah. Do you know about it? Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's, money. Yeah. it's a use tax on breweries. Um, it, a tax for us to be able to sell our own product that we're making. Um, it goes to the general fund, which it has a big deficit. So um, it's not a sales tax. Yeah, the way it, it's very confusing. The way they originally wanted it to be was a 6%, just like every sales tax. But uh, the Brewers of Pennsylvania, which is uh, basically our lobbying group, uh, fought it down to it. So it's 25% of 6%. Um, so it's going to be, you know, on a, on a five or six dollar pint, it's going to be an extra 10 or 15 cents. Um, now there's, it's up to the brewery as to how they're going to handle that. Um, it's not a tax to the consumer, but brewers might increase their prices to offset that. Question in the back row. So with this uh, crazy new hard seltzer market <laughs> coming out, 
you see the craft brewing industry compete or you know continue to keep up with that market? Mm. Well, we made a seltzer, um, but we kind of took our own spin on it, where we just we brewed a base and then uh, let um, people pick their flavors. Um, so that's been kind of like a fun spin on it. Um, I think that I, speaking on the hyper local thing that Jeff was just talking about, like at breweries, I think your your fans are going to keep coming. You're, and um, you know we really appreciate everybody for that. But y your fans also have friends who don't like beer. So if you can kind of diversify what you're offering. Um, then you might get an even bigger fan base. So I kind of like to see um, seltzer and other things like that as an opportunity to increase your reach. And um, yeah, I think some people have been pretty excited about our take on it. And you know, we'll keep expanding that and see where it goes. I, I, I love the brewing industry, but we tend to focus too much on uh, assaulting the palate uh, with flavors, with hops, with malt, with alcohol. Um, and I think something we've failed to to do is to, to appeal to that crowd that wants a lighter beverage. Um, so, you know, I think that's why Seltzer is going gangbusters. It, it has appealed to that, that, that palate that wants something a little less. So I think it does, it presents a little bit of a challenge, but I don't necessarily think the craft beer drinkers drinking a ton of hard seltzer but it is, it is uh, maybe a product that we can offer that brings up people in that don't want beer. Question in the back. Friends that don't drink beer? Um, <laughs> yeah. Where, where in Camp Hill are the Millworks Little Beach Center? Uh, so our, uh, if you're, are you, it's right on Market Street. Uh, are you familiar with Cornerstone Coffee? It's the building right beside it to the left. Uh, it was Creative Elegance, I believe was the name of the building. For the professor, um, is there a part of Pennsylvania that you think of as um, the, the heart of the craft beer industry or the ground zero for the craft beer industry, a part that, of PA that just has per capita more breweries than anywhere else uh, that people could focus in on? Can you hear me now? Uh, yeah, so Phoenixville has more per capita. Um, there, within a one mile stretch, there's about five breweries and that's just the breweries. There's wineries, distilleries, and you know some cool restaurants and things as well. It is up there in terms of number with right behind Denver and Seattle. And so, yeah, we have some incredible small towns like that. Hanover is another town that, uh, you know, it's really kind of, it, at one point historically, it was sort of a cornerstone and it had these trains and it had crossroads and people went there and today it's a little out of the way and yet we have, I think there's about five or six breweries within, you know, a good couple miles of it. Um, when I think of the actual scene of brewing, I think Pittsburgh and, and Philly are definitely that sort of heart. Um, I was in Pittsburgh two days ago and 
Cinderlands, if you haven't been there. It's a new brewery that's just built up, and I think they've only been open a year, and they've already opened a second location, and they're just growing. And uh, what I think is really interesting is the as the consumer gets more educated on beer, um, not only in terms of what they're putting in their body, but also the pairing aspect of beer, um, having these breweries that are really complementing their beer with food, and uh, Cinderlands does a great job. They have all these incredible plates to go along with it. Millworks does that. Um, Shy Bear, if you've been up uh, not too far from here, uh, they got into alternative energy uses, and their menus and their food are things that you would find in New York City at an incredible restaurant, and yet they're making these beautiful, like, you know, farm-to-table plates right here in central PA. Lewistown. Lewistown? Um, Allison, so you probably get this question a lot, but since you've been to so many breweries in PA, do you have, like, a favorite beer that has stuck out to you so much over every other beer? And then for the two brewers, do you have, like, a favorite beer in the whole world that's not something that you I'm just curious. Yeah, I... People ask me that all the time, and I have to say I love the experiences, I think, almost more so than the beer. And so, yes, there are some breweries that I've absolutely loved. Um, Stable 12 in Phoenixville is one. It's just a cool little place. It's relatively small. Um, you get that interaction where you can ask a lot of questions. Um, the actual beers to me, again, I think it goes, they, those change seasonally. You know, the summer versus the winter, I tend to like different beers. Um, now, I always joke about that. Now, with that being said, <laughs> last week we were doing filming for this course that we're going to be offering. And uh, at the end of this short course is going to be a chance to take the Cicerone Beer Server exam. So if you can, uh, you know, with all the information, you can pass and get certified at this sort of international uh, recognition. But some of the things we can't teach in the classroom. So we went to Gearhouse Brewing to do some filming of actually how you clean tap lines and things like that. And so the brewer said, "This is, we started at 7.30 in the morning. And he's like, well, what beer do you want? I'm not going to waste it. And I'm like, oh. And at 7.30, I had a dunkle. And I'm like, this might be my favorite <laughs> beer. <laughs> so I don't know if it was 7.30 that made it so good or uh, whatever, but it was a really good dunkle. So, uh, yeah. So. Um, I don't have one particular beer that is my all-time favorite, I guess, but I definitely do have a style that's my favorite. Um, uh, Hellesbach. It's a German style. It's a German lager. Um, traditionally drink in the spring. Um, spring also happens to be my favorite season. I love I love that time of year, so I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but it's lighter in color and stronger in alcohol. Um, so it's definitely one of my go-tos. Um, a really good locally brewed uh, Hellas Bach is Cultivator um, from Trogues, so I would highly recommend that one. <laughs> yeah, that's like picking your favorite child. Uh, <laughs> not that I have any children yet, but... Um, yeah, I don't know. That's it, it is a tough question. Um, I think it's very seasonal, d depending on what I want. Um, I mean, I've always said if I had to, like, if I were just stranded on an island, if it was a desert island beer, it'd probably be Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, just because it's it's just man, it's just it's good and it's well brewed every single time you get it. 
question in the second row. Well, I guess I have a question about sort of diversity and inclusion in, in breweries and I guess behind the counter and, and within you know the space. Um, what efforts, and this is for anyone who would like to answer it, what efforts are you making or would you like to see made um, in, into making breweries more inclusive and diverse? Yeah, I, I mean, I think diversity is, is something that's greatly lacking in the brewing industry. I'm diverse because I don't have a beard. Um, <laughs> You know, which is sad to say, but that's kind of true. Um, yeah, it, it's, it, you know, you do need to be inclusive to, to, to everybody out there. I mean, I think a big part of it, too, is kind of getting back to that hard seltzer question, which is you can't just make beer that 30 to 50-year-old white men want to drink. Um, so if you, as brewers, if you start brewing other styles of beer that other uh, demographics want to drink, I think it kind of naturally follows itself. Um, you know, as far as like being inclusive, well, I mean, I think that's just a good business practice. I don't, you know, I don't think you should disclude anybody from their, you know, based on their, you know, color of their skin or, or whatever. You know, I think it should be as inclusive as possible, but I do think, um, you know, brewing different styles that other people like may be a good start. Um, there's some new data out there um, as of this year collected by the Brewers Association, which has been really eye-opening um, for us as an industry, just really putting the raw numbers out there about how not diverse we are. Um, and along with that has also come some best practices, um, like some manuals and some trainings um, in person and online, just um, some actual ways that you can try to practice that as a business. And um, we have started talking about those and um, looking internally at things that we can do. Because um, you, can, you can sit back and say people aren't coming to us, whether it's customers or um, people applying for jobs and whatnot, but you can only do that for so long. And maybe it's time to start saying like, why aren't people coming to us and what can we change? So. Um, it's, and it's not really about quotas. It's about evaluating your culture um, internally and what you're projecting out there. So um, I think a lot of that comes from surveying both your customers and um, your staff and really kind of finding a baseline for where you're at and then um, looking at different measures to take to help create a more inclusive culture. Um, whether that be evaluating your hiring practices, your interviewing practices, things like that. Um, I heard a really good speaker um, talk about a month ago about um, interviewing practices and how sometimes when we interview, we're looking for who's going to fit the culture of our company. And instead of looking at it like that, like maybe think about people who come from um, different backgrounds where they don't interview as well, but um, trying to find ways to talk to them and not just like a more formal interview, but you know, get really get a feel like on a personal level of what they can bring to the table um, in your company. And that comes with changing what we're comfortable with doing. Um, but we might be really missing a large, a, a lot of people um, by just sticking with the same interviewing practices and the same calling out for jobs. The, 
channels that we use for um, posting our job descriptions and whatnot. So we're really um, taking that pretty seriously, especially after you know seeing that raw data, we'd like to see significant change. It is quite a dichotomy. I think from going around and meeting so many of the brewers, it is an incredibly inclusive, friendly, liberal group of people, and yet it's the most non-inclusive group of people. And particularly doing my research, I have to say it was extremely intimidating to go into all these breweries where I'm by far the only woman in that. And so, but um, again, and you know, I think the numbers prove that it is extremely low, but we were, the Brewers of Pennsylvania Symposium last month really tried to put a little, lot of effort into how do you change that, how do we address it, and how do you look at some of those things. We have time for just a couple more questions. All right, this one's kind of like a marketing question. So I've helped out with Cabbage Pride and done the sales with like Cannon and Bodrum and stuff, and talking to them about what beers they keep with can and stuff. So like brewing, like the craft beer industry is very like saber metrics, like untapped and like beer advocate and all that stuff. How much of a level do you guys personally put into like canning this beer versus that beer or making this style versus that style or just overall thinking about people rating stuff like with untapped or just consumption in general? Um, personally at the Millworks, uh, I try to have as diverse a tap list as I possibly can. Um, I don't want to be a brewer who's known for only being able to make one thing. I kind of want to brew good lagers, good IPAs, good stouts. Um, I kind of want to be as diverse as possible when it comes to those. Uh, as to what we actually can, uh, I usually like to brew a beer once, put it on tap, see how it sells, and then I go from there. Because uh, the process of getting a label designed, um, approved through the federal government, which they have to approve, uh, you know, and then printed, it's a, it's a cost. So you need to be pretty, pretty convinced that it's going to sell. So I like to have a little bit of sales data to know that it's, it's going to move. Because it, it, on, on, a, on a small brewer level, uh, putting something into a can is the most expensive way we could possibly do it. So if we're going to do it, it, better sell. Yeah, that, that's really similar for us, too. I mean, we try to keep a very diverse tap list. I think right now we probably have like 15, 16 beers on tap, but we're all very different. Um, and um, as far as what we can, we do try to we look back over data that we've collected on how do things sell. Um, and then the numbers, the numbers have to make sense. It's it is really expensive to sell some. You make less money selling something in a can than you do on tap. And so even something that is really good seller might not make the most sense to put it in a can. So there's just kind of an internal equation that you look at there. Um, for the untapped question, I think most brewers, well, I don't want to just say most, but a lot of the brewers I talk to, we, we try not to take ourselves or untapped too seriously. Um, un, 
people use untapped for all kinds of different reasons, you know? Um, some people use it as like their beer diary. Like this is my experience at this place. This is my experience with this beer. Some people don't rate beers at all. Some people rate beers, at, you know, I hate sours one star. So it's kind of funny to look through them honestly. Um, but I do like looking through it and seeing comments that can give good feedback. There, there are some really good comments too, but as far as the ratings, that's not really the, the, we don't take that number too seriously, I guess, just because there's so, it's so ambiguous. People, there's no hard set, this is what this number means. We're gonna have our final question here in the back. Hi, um, I appreciated your uh, thoughtful response to his question, actually. But to follow up, um, there was one you. There were a few words that kept. Oops, okay, thank you. Uh, there are a few words that kept popping up during the your talk, and you you mentioned revitalization a few times, and then the local community. Um, uh, so you did talk about inclusivity, but in places uh, like Brooklyn, I'm originally from Brooklyn. Um, there are parts where entire communities are displaced um, when, um, when, when uh, businesses like craft breweries start um, popping up, and they might be inclusive because it's Brooklyn, um, but they've displaced whole communities. Um, and then you said you want to appeal to the local community, but the demographics of Midtown and Uptown have changed significantly. So. Um, and I appreciated the other elements of sustainability that both of your businesses are trying to appeal to, like um, having local farmers um, contribute and having seasonal elements to your um, businesses. But um, isn't part of sustainability being involved in, in what's happening here? So what would, if you have more inclusive practices but the communities are displaced, what does that mean? And I, I'm, I'm genuinely curious how we can we be more creative to not turn revitalization into neocolonization and, and throwing out communities? What, what would that look like? Because that would have to be more proactive than just changing hiring practices. Um, so that's my question, open to exploration type thing. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the ultimate urban, urban revitalization question, is how do you, how do you bring in businesses um, and yet maintain the uh, maintain the community. Um, you know, you don't want to displace anybody in the process of doing it. So I, I, I'm not an urban planner. I don't know much about doing it. Um, but I think, I think engaging the community as much as you possibly can is a good first start at it. Um, you know, unfortunately, I have to say that the craft brewing industry is um, generally a higher price point item. Um, it's a luxury item. And uh, you know we do make alcohol for a living, so that is a, that is kind of a luxury item. Um, so that is the unfortunate reality of the business that we're in. Um, so yeah, I, it, it's it's a dichotomy, and I don't have a great answer for it. I wish I did. There would be, you know, that's a that's a much bigger question um, than. Yeah. I can answer at the moment. Mm. <laughs> there yeah. have been several studies like Vancouver, Washington, Seattle, uh, Buffalo, where they have looked at what's happened. So yeah, when those breweries come in, other restaurants, they completely revitalize and yeah, kick the previous residents out completely. 
So, so it is a reoccurring problem. Um, how to stop it is more difficult, but I had take pictures everywhere, and that's one of the things that I'm always, when I go back and look at my photos, I think there are no local people. Like the Spring Garden neighborhood in Philadelphia, for example, if you haven't been to the New Yards, it's, it's worth seeing. It's, it's an incredible, they moved from a fairly small building to this enormous like city block, and it's an incredible facility, but it's in an area that predominantly should be African-Americans. And if you take pictures in there, you won't see, or if you just go on like the images of the place, it will be packed, there'll be people waiting around the line, but you won't see anybody but white guys standing in line. <laughs> so to me, that's a really interesting question is how, how do you get local people to come into that community? Can we give a round of applause for our panelists? <laughs> Thank you, Sarah, Allison, Hannah, Jeff, uh, for coming out tonight for our kickoff event for the Hair Free Book Festival. You have been listening to the Midtown Scholar Bookstore Author Reading Podcast. Please make sure to hit the subscribe button to keep up to date on all our newest author talks. After every event, there are limited quantities of signed copies of the featured books. Don't forget to grab your copy today. If you would like more information on Midtown Scholar Bookstore, please visit midtownscholar.com. The Midtown Scholar Bookstore Author Reading Podcast is a free podcast and does not own the rights to any of the readings.